you know, I felt like uh, I wasn't even going to remember how to do a podcast, let alone intro one, let alone just like talk and have it be anything near interesting. Yeah, here we are. Welcome back to the base. I'm your host, Fred Curtis. Her co-host, what are you now? A Renaissance woman, immigration attorney, crazy cat lady, Becca Nyberg. There you I go. Still, still got it. See? <laughs> I think, yep. I was going to say, you've always had the intro magic, so I don't hey, know why you're questioning it. I, I know, you know, it's it's been two months, and so there was some uh, trepidation about the ability to just come right back in here. You know, I'm trying to get to Johnny Carson of podcast level. I don't know if we'll, I don't know if we'll uh, accomplish that, but it's a great goal to have. Welcome back to the base, y'all. We are delighted to be back here and uh, to have you all joining us. Um, it's been a minute. It's been a hot minute. Yeah, well, we've and we've both personally had a lot going on, which uh, I don't know, maybe excuses our lengthy absence. I don't know. Um, I think I think excuses. <laughs> right. So, I mean, I I nixed the podcast for two weeks in there because I went and ran off and got married. So hey. I feel like that's a good excuse. <laughs> Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. And then there was there was some other stuff going on in there too. I know for you, Fred, in particular. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, I didn't get married. Um, but what did happen is I had um, you know, just quite a few uh sort of family, you know, matters that came up, uh some pertaining to the legal system. Uh obviously can't get into like details, but wh- whenever you've got I mean, I so I had a friend actually ask me for attorney recommendations a couple of weeks ago, and I started off by saying, well, I'm sorry you're going through that, right? Whenever you need an attorney, you're probably not in a good situation. <laughs> and so, you know, I, I think you can encapsulate sort of what that means. I think over the past two, three months, whatever it might be, um, I've been sort of making the rounds in a variety of like conversations, workshops, whatever it is, and just catching up with people. And what what I come to a realization is like 2020 was just this huge year of loss for everyone. Like everyone lost so much, right? From from things that we consider quote unquote, you know, not not significant. Whether you lost your graduation or you lost the wedding of your dreams or you know the summer vacation you had planned years for, to you know things that we think are quote unquote more significant. You know, I I think we've all, even if it's distant, you know, had a family member or friend or colleague or someone we know that passed away from, from COVID. And so I think what last couple of months have been for me is just sort of the culmination of that from a very, very personal perspective. Um, you know, to be completely transparent for some things outside of my control, uh, have been unable to, you know, really be in relationship with uh, with my brother, the way I would like, the way I've always been used to. Uh, for those of you who don't know, uh, my brother is actually uh, autistic, um, been, you know, the shining light in my life, for lack of a better term, for uh, for a long time. And so, you know, dealing with that, uh, dealing with any sort of legal fallout. And those things still aren't over, unfortunately. Um, but I think what happens is, you know, you learn to adjust, uh, you learn to adapt and and you know, yeah, I'll, I'll dive a little bit, you know, sort of more into what that process is looking like, because one, I've learned a lot uh, about just myself and my own mental health in the past two or three months. Um, and we'll dive a little bit more into that. But you had, you, you've you got good news. You, you had good reasons why you were gone. 
we want to we want to hear more uh we want to hear more about that i mean <laughs> this we, is just it, i mean cut and dry yeah, I, mean, it, it was, <laughs> I mean until the police shut us down it was great so no. uh, <laughs> wait that didn't which, actually happen did it it did actually oh happen. my goodness <laughs> Um, which sounds much more sensational than it was. Um, it was like 8.30 at night. The neighbor across the street thought we were a bunch of drunk college kids and called the police. Um, the woman police officer who came by was very, very nice and was horrified that she was interrupting a wedding reception. <laughs> yeah. um, and, you know, just very, very nice. And it actually ended up working really well because we were trying to figure out how to shut it down to get the kids to bed anyway. Um, so that was just, I was like, oh, we got to turn the music off. All right, kids, let's go to bed. So, yeah, I mean, it, you know, like I said, I, I say it in a sensationalist manner. It actually, we find it to be very funny um, and it actually worked out. But um, I would say like, you know, you talked about loss of the co the wedding of your dreams. COVID made it so that I got the wedding of my dreams and I didn't have mm. to make any excuses. Mm. <laughs> because especially as a second marriage, you know, I, I've been through the big thing. Yeah. Yeah. It was great yeah. when it happened, um, you know, but I didn't need to do that again. And, you know, we were just kind of spiraling out of control with a, with a guest list. So, you know, being able to limit it to kids, parents and siblings, you know, we had a total of 15 people. So, you know, it's all the people you're completely close to. There's no, you know, no worry about, I don't know, making a fool out of yourself because they've seen you make a fool out of yourself a million times. And that, you know, that's not really a thing anymore. Yeah. <laughs> um, we had, you know, this wonderful Cuban food um, from a place nearby and the, I guess, several generations that own the place were just super, super nice. Um, gave us food for like we, that we ate for a week. Basically, <laughs> they gave us so much food. Um, we ordered cupcakes from a woman in North Carolina who kind of does this on the side. So we got to support a, you know, a black woman um, in North Carolina who um, we're now besties. Like she she wrote me a sweet note. Like we Facebook message. Um, she's amazing. So, you know, if anybody needs cupcake recommendations, let me know. They come in little containers so they don't get squished during shipping. I mean, it's, I oh, can't. Oh, that. that's amazing. Bless her. <laughs> yeah, I'll get you that information, Fred. Yeah, no, yeah, don't yeah. you worry. Need, need that. Need that. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Um, but yeah, I mean, she, you know, and she did flavors to go with Cubans. We had vanilla with guava. We had mango. Um, yeah. So, yeah, it was everything I needed. Oh, she's big time. Okay. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, we don't, we don't, we don't mess with her. She like, just put her in charge. She's good. What part of North Carolina? She's in Raleigh. Wonderful place. Somewhere thereabouts. So yeah, yeah, that's great. Well, you mentioned police shutting down uh, your wedding reception. Um, sounds like she was a nice, nice lady. God bless her. Um, one thing <laughs> though that has sort of uh, dominated. Uh, I don't want to say conversation, just, you know, sort of America in general um, is uh, not so much a topic of police brutality. Yes, that has dominated. Um, but I'm going to go a little bit here on a slightly somber note. Um, Derek Chauvin uh, was convicted on three counts, uh, second degree murder, third degree murder and second degree manslaughter and the death of George Floyd. 
um, this week. Uh, and you, you can you can find hundreds of other sources to talk about sort of the legal and political fallout from that. So we're gonna we're gonna bypass that. You can you you can find that on your own. Uh, I, th I think you know one of the things. And this was actually um, Becca's idea. Uh, was to explore sort of this topic uh, in a broader scheme of things. When we talk about uh, mental health, you know, one of the reasons why I kind of stepped away from everything uh, over the past two or three months uh, was to sort of get myself in a uh, much better position from mental, emotional, uh, psychological perspective. Um, and and I, I think one of the things we don't discuss enough is the the nature in which these these things, you know, the the deaths of you know all people, particularly black and brown people, at the hands of police, at the hands of the state, how that impacts folks on a deep level, um, how that trauma continues to resonate, and how it you know um, contributes to you know feelings of of depression, anxiety, so on and so forth. Um, and so I know I know you had brought it up, and I don't want to do it a disservice. So I'm just you know curious as far as within your thought process and just how. You know, it's it's been uh, impacting impacting you um, this week, and then you know, lead, leading up leading up to to the verdict. Yeah, I mean, I would say whatever I have experienced pales in comparison to anybody in a minority population um, has experienced. Um, but watching a lot of my friends go through a you know a collective breath holding. What is this verdict going to be? I mean, we have uncontrovertible evidence of murder and the fact that we have to question whether the legal system is going, is going, sorry, there's like, there are cat whiskers in my- There's a cat, you got the cats running around, yeah. There, she's in the camera um, from behind. So in a, inopportune, time to to laugh because you know the trial and you know what everybody's going through is certainly not a laughing matter um but you know watching incontrovertible evidence of murder and we don't know what the verdict is going to be yeah i mean that defies reason you know there's you know and and if we talk about you know the murder that happened what as the verdict was coming in or being publicized um on the streets of ohio or in a neighborhood in ohio um, you know, of a, of a girl, um, I've seen her described as a young woman, that maybe, is that, maybe that applies, but she's, she's 16, she's a kid, right? you know, um, shot in the back. I mean, it's just, I can't, I don't know what kind of a more stark reminder you could have. Um, and I've seen a number of very educated people defend that shooting. She yeah. had a knife. The police officer, you know, she didn't stop when the police officer rolled up with the sirens. Um, this is a justified killing. Legally, maybe. Um, I don't know what the Ohio laws say. You know, maybe this is a legally justified killing. But morally, we're so far away from being morally justified. Um, mm. You know, and I would contrast, you know, and I'm not the first one. I would contrast, you know, this, this kid holding a knife as opposed to the 16 year old in, what was it in Wisconsin, holding the AR-15? Calvary House, yeah. Yep, yep. Who managed uh, to go into custody without incident. Well, he managed we to like chat with the police and leave and was only arrested later. Yeah. I mean, it, that's, 
I mean, Dylan Roof got Burger King after he got um, in custody. So, right. I mean, and these are people who literally committed murder against fellow citizens. Um, you know, <laughs> in neither case were they anywhere close to being justified murderers. And sure, they're fine. Let, let's just take them in. I mean, it's just, you know, it's just a really stark reminder of how far we have left to go as a country. And that takes a toll. That's an emotional burden that people, you know, people of color bear every single day. Um, and I certainly don't want to, you know, I don't want to talk for people of color, but, you know, as, as somebody who's not a person of color, who's, you know, as white as can be, you know, we also have to recognize that. We have to recognize that our, that our neighbors are on edge, that, you know, there's, there's this emotional mental burden that's being placed on them that we have nothing, we don't know anything about. We've mm -hmm. never experienced that. And, you know, giving some grace, giving some distance, um, and I don't mean distance, like literally physical, don't talk to anybody. I mean, you know, that space to discuss and, um, and deal with feelings and emotions that come up, I think is really important and something that, you know, we, even as not the directly affected population, need to be able to give to those who are directly affected. Yeah, it's, um, I was waiting for the verdict to be read. I think it was Tuesday. And uh, let me backtrack a little bit, because one of my friends last week had asked me, you know, how, how are you managing to just make it? <laughs> you know, she's well aware of the details of and the specifics of everything sort of going on in my personal life. And then also all the stuff is actually going on in our country. Um, and I told her straight up, I said, you know, I, I haven't been paying attention to anything. Um, I have been incredibly, uh, intentional about controlling what I allow myself to consume. I haven't been controlling or consuming any social media, hadn't watched the news in months, quite literally. Um, you know, I, I, I just have put myself in a position where I can create my own world. And I don't know, I told her, I said, I don't know if that's the most healthy thing. And I don't really care if it is because it's what I need to take care of myself right now. Um, I got word that the verdict was coming down. And when I found that out, you know, obviously it just becomes kind of impossible to pay attention. And and I actually looked at my watch while I was watching. Uh, I think I, I, have, I was a good liberal. I had it on MSNBC. Um, and uh, my heart rate, literally, before they read it, it was like in fat burn, almost cardio range. I kid you not. And, and you know, it was, they read it off, you know, guilty, guilty, guilty. And each time it was just like, my, my reaction was not unlike a Lamar Jackson 60-yard touchdown pass or run. And in hindsight, you you – you are upset that you've got a murder on, on tape that, it, that has been on a loop for 10 months uh, that is clearly unjustified. Uh, and yet before a verdict is read, you are anxious. And when you actually hear the word guilty, you find it celebratory. And, and I think that is a stinging indictment on um, where we are as a country. 
And, and so sort of taking that a little bit further, I think from a perspective of, you know, I, I think 2020 to even now, 2021, COVID is going to be remembered, at least for me, not just for a pandemic, but also for, I don't even want to say a reckoning with police brutality and injustice because it, it wasn't a reckoning for, for black and brown people. <laughs> um, and it wasn't a reckoning for, for, you know, a lot of white people in my life either. They were well aware of this. I think it was a reckoning for mainstream American enterprise and business and so on and so forth. Um, those, those are going to be equally, I think, important. And, and, and what I kind of want to commit myself to as long as I'm alive, honestly, is like, those, those are equal conversations. And, and I don't know, somebody's going to write a book, somebody's going to study it on, you know, whether or not pandemic and sort of the movement for racial and social justice was, you know, whether those created environments to where, you know, it was easier for people to, you know, have these conversations or understand, I don't know. And, and, you know, somebody smarter than me is going to go through and do that work. But I think that the, the toll and the impact that, I mean, that happened in May of last year, and it's just been constant. And the thing is, like, in order to get that verdict, don't like, that wasn't just, oh, you know, they broke the blue wall of silence and there's this eight minute video. I mean, look, they had Rodney King's beaten on, on tape in 1992 and they all got off. And so I think what we saw here, like every single protest, every single thing that we've done over the past 10 months, I think all of that was required to finally get some sense of accountability in a police involved killing. And so it's kind of twofold. It's it's on the one hand, you're you're overjoyed with accountability. And on the other hand, you think back to everything that we collectively as a people who believe in the movement for black and brown lives have done over the past 10 months and said it took all of that for these three guilty verdicts. You get the sense of excitement. I don't want to say excitement, you get the sense of joy, of accountability, of maybe we're making progress. And then immediately thereafter, you kind of get the sense of is this really where we are? And it starts taking its toll from a mental perspective. You think, is that, do we have to do that level of work, that level of sacrifice, that level of protest, that level of organizing, that level of political involvement, that, you know, like everything of every, there was a presidential, like there were other, like everything that we've all were in this work contributed for the past 10 months. Does it take all of that when there's a video And so that has been the thing post Tuesday that has been difficult for me to reconcile. That's going to be a much longer conversation in a process. Um, but, but I, I think that's kind of where I'm sitting now, not, 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 you know, in an incredibly heavy space, but contemplative, I guess you could say about, you know, wanting to make sure we take, we've gotten two steps forward and just wanting to make sure these next few months don't see us take three steps back. Yeah, and I would say that, you know, I don't know if you've ever heard of an ACE score. Um, it's an adverse childhood experience score. And mm -hmm. it's a it's a trauma predictor um, or trauma measurer. I, I'm not sure exactly how to how to put it. Um, but what it does is it looks at the level of trauma specifically during childhood um, that somebody has experienced and it's used as a predictive um, element for what somebody is going to go through um, health-wise as an adult. So the collective trauma, the collective stress that we're putting on certain populations, um, you know, specifically in this case, black and brown people, has a health impact, you know, makes people much more likely, not only for mental health, um, you know, issues down the line, but physical health issues down the line. 
And it's a it's a huge predictor. It's a huge, you know, we've used it um, in immigration work because it can be very, very frustrating, for example, when a client doesn't give you a birth certificate, right? Like you've got it, just send it over to me. Why is this so difficult? Well, you know, if you've gone through all this trauma that you are dealing with and probably not with any professional help because it's hard to find professional help and you have all these other things, you know, especially if you're undocumented, you're just trying to put food on the table. That's hard enough. Yeah. You know, something easy for me to pull my kid's birth certificate out, scan it and email it to you becomes a much, much more difficult task. Right. You know, it's it's a huge ask to make. And so, you know, we as practitioners have to have, you know, have to have that patience and grace to recognize that we're not all coming from the same place. Mm. You know, we're placing burdens. We're placing, you know, these bricks on people's shoulders or on their head that you know or, or weight vests or you know whatever you want to call it where it just makes every movement more difficult um and even for you know people who aren't you know who are natural born americans you know here we're placing you know i would say it's like um you know those weight vests that people used to work out and they keep adding more weight in so that they can you know when they take it off then they run so much faster whatever except that the trauma stays there mm. you know we, they don't get to take that vest off you yeah. don't get to take weights out. I mean, maybe a little bit if you get some really great professional help or something, but we're asking a huge portion of our of our population to walk through life with this added burden, you know, with this additional weight that's just on them all the time. And even if they're not recognizing it and they're not, oh, no, no, you know, I had a pretty good child. No, there's collective trauma. There's collective yeah. stress that is put on Americans um, in, you know, people in this country for the sheer fact of the color of their skin. I mean, the fact that, you know, Emmett Till's parents were there mm. um, for the verdict. Um, you know, I mean, how much trauma and stress, you know, everybody knew what happened. Everybody knew who was guilty in that case and nothing happened. The fact that we are sitting here, what, 50, 60, I don't know, my math is my math is off, I think. But, you know, a lifetime later, you know, a generation later, two generations later, wondering the same thing. You know, how much progress are we actually making? You know, it's, I'm super happy for the verdict, you know, this week, but how many other families didn't get that verdict? Mm -hmm. Didn't get the, the media attention, didn't get the, you know, had, I don't know, whatever other accusations, you know, hurled at, you know, the, the family member that they lost kind of thing. You know, it's great in this one case, but I think I read something that there is like 15,000 or something, you know, police killings every year. So we're at one out of 15,000. Like, that's not really something to celebrate at this point. Yeah, I mean, I think, and this might be a, a longer conversation for us to have. Um, at a later date, um, apparently roughly like a, roughly a thousand each year. Um, but again, you don't know if that's what their definition is, whether that's just the unjustified or the justified ones. Anyway, we won't get into that nuance, but that could be a, a good conversation for later. Even taking that smaller number, one in a thousand, so less than 1%. Still ridiculous. Um, I mean, you know, I mean, and yeah. I think I want to I want to go back to your to your point about mental health and about the the uh, long lasting 
sort of impacts of trauma. I'm actually reading this book and it's been pretty life changing. It's called The Deep as Well by Dr. Uh, Nadine Burke Harris. And, you know, basically she put science and, and some other um, great anecdotal evidence behind um, the truth, the facts, the research that um, those who, people who do have uh, an inordinate amount of adversity or trauma in their childhood uh, do in fact disproportionately end up with very serious health risks as they get older. Um, and so she, she mentions it in, in one, one part of the book to where seemingly healthy 42 year old guy, I mean, who like, you know, runs half marathons and, you know, is, it eats, eats well, so on and so forth. No other health sort of preconditions or indicators, um, has a stroke, I think in his early forties. And, you know, she traces that back to, you know, his, uh, nasty divorce his parents had in his teenage years, you know, moving a lot, so on and so forth. And so, you know, the complete transparency in a lot of ways, I I've been reading that book and I've had to come to grips with the fact that I think I definitely fit that bill <laughs> with, uh, a lot of the, a lot of the trauma, not just from childhood, but, you know, in some ways my twenties can be defined as that as well. And so one of the things, uh, I've been doing, and I think this speaks to sort of, if you're looking for ways to, I don't know, try to figure out or find out how you can better take care of yourself in the midst of all this. I um, actually paid for a subscription to Insight Timer and there's this, uh, there's this resilient grieving course. Um, and, and in it, basically the, the, the doctor, I forget her name right now, I'll link it in the show notes, talks about grieving and the importance of grieving. And, and I think, you know, it's helped me a lot. One, because, you know, my definition of grieving and mourning prior to has always been, oh, you know, you grieve, you mourn when someone passes away. And yes, that is obviously applicable, but what I've learned over the past few months and has been incredibly helpful for me in sort of evolving, growing, healing, processing, become a better human being, is that whenever you lose something of value, whenever you lose something that means anything to you, that is worth grieving. Um, that is worth mourning. And you can't begin to heal and grow and move on until you have taken the time to heal and grieve. And I think so often we forget that step because grieving and mourning is incredibly painful. It requires you to feel and confront whatever pain is there. Um, and, you know, I mentioned the, I've got a pretty close immediate family member um, that I haven't talked to since August. Uh, and what I, what I had to realize is that, you know, there is a process there. Uh, that requires you sort of grieving the loss of that uh, relationship, grieving the fact that um, I'm not often able to talk to, you know, my brother the way I want to, grieving, you know, the graduation you missed, grieving the relationship that was lost, whatever it might be. Um, and so I, I, I think sort of resetting how we think about, you know, mourning, how we think about grieving, how we think about what it means to be resilient. At least that's what I've done over the past few months. And that's why I think I'm in a much better position than I am today, but you're absolutely right. And, you know, that's one of the things that concerns me. And it's one of the things I'm working on and being intentional about, you know, is I've got years, honestly, of trauma that is done and I can't necessarily do anything about the physical, you know, nature of the impact that that's had. And, and, and I don't want to say I can't do anything about it, but thinking about and being intentional about, okay, well, what things can I do? to help uh, re, I don't want to say reverse some of these trends, but, you know, make sure I can be the healthiest person I can be. I'm doing that mentally and emotionally, but there are some physical things here I've got to try to help reverse. And, and, and that's been a point of priority for me lately. Yeah. And I would say adding on to the list that you kind of provided is mourning what might've been, mm. you know, so 
um, having gone through a divorce, it wasn't that I was necessarily mourning the relationship. You know, by the time we, we got to the point of divorce, the relationship was irretrievably broken. Um, you know, we, we had no positive feelings anymore really towards each other. Um, I can't say no positive feelings, but, you know, we certainly were not in any place yeah. to be a romantic relationship. But what I really had to mourn was the loss of what I thought it was going to be. You know, I thought this was the person that I would grow old with. I thought that, you know, I was going to be, you know, this perfect relationship forever, um, you know, that we would carry off into the sunset together. And it was the mourning what I thought should have been, what could have been, that was actually as as difficult as coming to grips with losing the actual person. Yeah. Um, and that's something that, you know, it, it, I say at this point, divorce was a really great thing to happen to me. Um, mm -hmm. You know, you should try it <laughs> um, and not necessarily the actual divorce person, but oh, yeah. it was exactly what you're saying. It really forced me to do a lot of introspection. It forced me to determine what was important to me. What were my goals? You know, I had lost them. I had lost myself in the relationship. Um, I was doing so many other things. I was wearing so many other hats. Um, you know, I and I had to then stop and say, okay, I thought I was on this path. I'm not going down this path anymore. So what does that mean for me? What path mm. do I want to go on? What things do I need to add to my life? What things do I need to subtract to my life? Um, and I'm a very, very different person than I was 10 years ago. Um, and that was that was a very large, very large part of it was just changing from the person I was as part of the marriage to the person that I am today. Um, and, you know, and I'm not saying by any means that, you know, my ex-husband was making me be a certain way, but, you know, I was putting expectations on myself. You know, mm. this, this is what a good wife does. This is what a good mother does. This is, you know, this is what I'm, society says I'm supposed to be, you're supposed, supposed to do. And going back and challenging those assumptions, challenging those expectations, is this really who I want to be? You know, society has told me this is what I'm supposed to be, but is this what I want to do? Um, you know, so it was a really wonderful way to force me into that introspection. Um, you know, and that's why I say, you know, divorce is great. Maybe, maybe not the actual divorce thing. Like if you find your person, keep your person. You should um, try it. <laughs> right. But, you know, but but reevaluating yourself and and reevaluating what shapes you, um, you know, again, you're not going to be able to discard some of the things in your past that have happened to you. But, you know, looking at what what do I need to do? What do I need to address in my past? Are there mm -hmm. things that are continuing to color the way that I have relationships, the way that I act in the world? Um, challenging those. Is this how I want to act in the world? Is this the person that I want to be? Is this the way that I want future relationships to go? And I'm not just talking about romantic relationships. Is this the way that I want my relationship with my child to go? Is yeah. this my, the, the way that I want friendships to go? Who are my friends? Are these the people that I actually want surrounding me? And it's not, I mean, it's, it's definitely not easy. <laughs> it's not quick. Um, but it's, it's important. Yeah. No, thank you for sharing that, Becca. I think I'll just close like, you know, with, I, I, like I said, it doesn't matter. You can have the 
picture perfect life or whatever you think society defines as a picture perfect life, all of us have lost something or someone of value um, in the past year and taking the time to acknowledge that, recognize that, to grieve that, uh, I think is paramount and important. You know, I think we've got an opportunity, hopefully in the next few months with the vaccine rollout and spring and summer coming for there to be sort of this rediscovery, I think of, you know, us as individuals, but also who we are. Um, and, and my exaltation today, for lack of a better term, is just for everyone to take the time, grieve what you've lost. You've lost something uh, in the past year. And, you know, in order for you to sort of walk into this next season of life, which it is for all of us in some ways, regardless of where we are, because, you know, I don't want to say it's the end of the pandemic, but there's going to be a new normal over these next few months. And and so it's it's, I think you, I think we'd be doing a disservice to ourselves as human beings not to sort of properly close out this last chapter of our lives, if that makes sense. And, and how many times in a life do you get that to where everyone you know is sort of processing and having going from one stage of life to the next, you know? Um, so that's 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 my encouragement today. Well, my my one last statement is this doesn't all have to be just you. There is no shame. There is no problem whatsoever in reaching out to a professional, reaching out to somebody mm -hmm. else for help. Those are incredibly important resources. You should never feel like you can't reach out to somebody, whether it's a friend or whether it's that professional resource. Um, the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline is always available to you um, at 800-273-8255. And you don't have to be, you know, on the brink of suicide, but if you just don't feel like you can cope with what's going on, give them a call, let them help you. Um, if you don't want to call, you don't like being on the phone, they will chat with you. They have text, you know, they have text capabilities, um, all of that, but find, find some way, you know, don't, you know, don't think you have to do it all yourself. There are people out there that, that can and will help. I got a great therapist. I recommend therapy to everyone. I talk to her weekly. It's great. Uh, <laughs> thanks, Becca. This is the base. We'll talk about more politics stuff next week.